Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is our own Bishop Fryer. Bishop, welcome to our program. Thank you, Rick. It's always good to be with you. And we're going to be talking today a little bit about this COVID vaccine, but before we do, I think it would be very good if you could lead us all in a word of prayer. Thank you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, in these days in which so many people are struggling with illness, with anxiety, with fear, with despair, uncertainty, we also know that at Christmas you came to us in a unique way, when Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, reminding us that no matter what our experience of life may be, that you are with us, that you love us, that you care for us, that you have given the angels, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the saints, to pray and intercede for us, help us to take refuge in their comfort, their presence, and to trust that just as you have conquered Satan through your death and resurrection, that we too one day will conquer this through your divine grace. We ask that you send your Holy Spirit upon us during this time together, that all that is said, thought, and heard may be in accordance with your will. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. Okay. Let's take on what has become, in my opinion, almost a surprisingly uh, difficult topic, and that's the idea that a vaccine that could bring almost the miracle of health to people could be morally wrong to take. That's the question. Right. And and my understanding is, and for all of you who are listening and the few of you who may not have heard, the the bishops for the United States, the the USCCB is what they call them, as a group have come together and declared that for a a number of very technical reasons, of which we're going to go over in a little bit, to take the vaccine is morally allowed. Is that essentially where we are right now? I would say definitely with two of the vaccines, the ones that are out now, uh, the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine, that it's definitely morally allowed to take it. There are some reservations about some of the other vaccines that are in the pipeline, such as the AstraZeneca one combined with Oxford, and I'm sure we'll get into all those distinctions. But the two that are available now... As Catholics, we are morally able to to receive those vaccines. Now, it's my understanding that both of those vaccines that have been declared to be morally allowed, they still have taint. Yes. Now, can you explain a little bit about the nature of taint from a Catholic perspective? Sure. So I believe it was back in the 1970s, there were two children that tragically were aborted, and it was a forced abortion. It was a sinful, evil act. Uh, there's no getting around the fact that that was a sinful, this, evil act. Of, this wasn't of a child that died in the womb. Right. The mother wasn't donating the, right. Right. the yeah, body. This was, okay. this was a deliberate evil act. So we recognize that. And then scientists drew stem cells from those two aborted children. So those fetal stem lines are tainted in the sense that their origins came from the act of the abortion. 
Now, those stem cells continue to replicate and replicate and replicate, and so now we're 40-some-odd years from the actual abortion. So let me ask a, a kind of a, a almost morbid question. Because the cells are replicating, does that mean that the soul of the baby is still alive, or does that mean the baby's dead, but this is body parts that are being replicated? Without going into great detail, yes. you understand my question? How, yeah, sure. How does that work? So the soul, we would believe, because, again, the majority of that baby's body was cremated, interred, whatever right. they did with it. You know, we They just took some of the stem cells, yeah. uh, which is not a large part of our, our, our body. So this is like donating a heart. Right. The person is dead, the soul Seems is with God, be. but the heart can still be used. In okay. another person. All right. Because right. so. there are some people I've heard that have said, what about the, the is the baby like a, some sort of a weird purgatory uh, uh, limbo? Right. Is this finally what limbo is? Yes, <laughs> yes. Thank God for the baby. We would say that being an innocent who was yeah. who was aborted, that they would be with the Lord. Uh, so it's just these cells, and again, those cells now for more than a generation have continued to they kept them alive and, and reproduce them. them. Reproduce them, and so those stem cell lines are so remote remote now from the actual act of abortion that that's one of the conditions. Okay, remote doesn't mean time. Right. Here it's a, the, the act was already done by other people than the people who are now using the stem cell line. Correct. So when we say remote and it's kind of a technical term, we don't mean remote meaning far away and we don't mean time away. We're talking about who did the evil deed that is not part of the group we have today, right? but we are benefiting from an evil deed that had been done. Yes. Which is where the taint comes from. Right. Yeah. Okay. So... Hopefully people's minds aren't swimming yet. Yeah, well, and, and this is where it becomes quite quite sad, and people are saying, I don't want that if it was uh, from a, a baby, and I don't want dead baby body parts in me. Right. Well, the experiments that were done have nothing to do with actually putting baby stem cells into the vaccine right it's using the vaccine on these stem cells to see what if the vaccine is going to work correct so there's no that's another question that came up to by someone is there any body maybe stuff going in no no but kind of like people who don't want to experiment on animals well here we're experimenting on stem cell line from children or a child who had been right murdered uh, in the womb 40-plus years ago. Yes. Yeah. So in the case of the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, there was testing on these stem cell lines, using these stem cell lines. Okay. Different from, again, the AstraZeneca, where they actually used the stem cell line in the development of vaccines. So we would have a bigger moral issue with that. So but they, even then, moral theologians now, and I think the Holy See just issued something saying, even given all the other circumstances of the pandemic. Yeah. And again, the remoteness of the person, especially the person receiving the vaccine. Right. You know, you're so far remote. Now, again, not right. by time, but by people who have been involved in these actions yeah. that there would not be a, a sin to, to take that. There would not be any moral problem with it. So maybe an analogy could be, God forbid, somebody was was killed by a drunk driver but was a donor. Right. And somebody who needed a new heart is morally allowed to have that heart, even though the person who died was, was a, a crime was committed against them. They were, sure. they, they were killed illicitly. Right. But you can still morally use that heart. 
And it would be really kind of immoral not to make that heart available to somebody. Sure. Because you'd be wasting something very precious from God to save a life when you can. Right. Again, depending on the person's conscience, we would not mandate okay. that, that that be done. You know, okay. that the church offers the guidance, but you know, would we say that the person who died in that accident and what was not an owner organ donor you know, were they sinning by not donating the heart? We would say, no, that's that's not a sin to... Okay, you know, okay, so I we, can see we, that. But if if a heart was available and someone said, oh, no, 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 this came from a murdered victim, right. we can't use the heart, that would be wrong. That, that would be that would be a, a wrong choice to begin with, and then the right. moral culpability would come if we outright refused right. to take something that could help somebody else because of our own pride in this. Sure. So maybe even to make it a little more simpler, so suppose that a person died tragically who was of a different race, and the donor said, well, I don't want that heart because it oh. came from uh, that person's race. You know, that's where we would say, well, you know, one, yeah. it's not a prudent decision. It's not right. a wise decision. Uh, you know, so that kind yeah. of maybe makes it a, the analogy a little simpler. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking about just there's a racial issue going on here. Right. Nothing to do with it. All right, so we go back to where we're going. So... The long and the short of it, if we can, for the moment, and then we're going to get into a couple of things having to do with COVID in general, but I want to make sure we've covered this because it's so critical. If somebody is in need of the vaccine, and and that's one of the questions to ask, uh, some people may not necessarily fit into the category of being in real need. I, I know there are very few people who are healthy and young who absolutely should be first in line. They really shouldn't generally. But I have an 85-year-old mother who's otherwise reasonably healthy and uh, should not stay out of line simply because there was some experimentation done as a part of the proving process for this vaccine that had nothing to do with the stem line until the proving process. Correct. And that, again, you mentioned the U.S. bishops have issued a statement on this. The Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith now has issued another statement um, on the 21st of December uh, after personal approval from Pope Francis, which does say that it is morally licit to receive the vaccine. There's no moral sin. And we're certainly not saying that the way that the company used the the aborted baby stem cells to to prove or to, to test this vaccine they made that that was morally a, a right thing to do. We're saying, on the contrary, that was that's the wrong method to do. Right. But their m- mistake, their evil, whatever you want to call it, in doing so doesn't make the vaccine so tainted that it cannot be used. On the contrary, it really doesn't touch the actual morality of the vaccine itself. Correct. Okay. As far as the recipient. As far as the recipient is concerned. Now, yes. if you're part of AstraZeneca or anybody else who worked for Pfizer – you have a different set of moral questions to be asking, um, and that's something that has a whole other set of, of yes. questions to ask about it. But for anyone who is worried about whether or not they're going to have to go to confession, and have, this is not an, a moral choice that would in any way taint your soul if you feel that you would benefit from having this vaccine. Right. And, and the Holy See has spoken of the common good. That for the common good, even you know, as the vaccine over months becomes more and more available, that younger person should still, after prayer, using his or her own conscience, but we would encourage that conscience to be directed toward receiving the vaccine, 
so that they do not spread it to other people. So for the common good, we should all try to prayerfully open ourselves up to the desire to receive vaccine when it's available in, in due time. And if we choose not to, which a person in prayer may end up saying, for whatever reason the Lord has told me I should not do this, that they would, as the Holy See said, exercise all those common good safeguards of keep wearing your mask, using the distance, washing your hands, a limiting number of people that you're with, that we're not called to go spread this disease to one another. When I come, when we come back, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit on some of this stuff. Sure. Uh, but just to clarify then, as we've got uh, only another minute or so left in this segment, this new COVID vaccine that's come out has created quite a controversy because after they'd already made the the thing, they went ahead and tested these first two varieties. They went ahead and tested it on uh, stem cells that were taken many years ago from an aborted fetus. And had they not done that testing, there would be no moral problem whatsoever. But because they did that testing, it raises a moral question as to whether or not it's licit to take the vaccine. And the answer is, it is licit for the recipient to take the vaccine. It is licit for the doctor to give the vaccine. Uh, they should not, the company should not have tested it the way they did, but it, the guilt stays with the company and the people doing it, not the doctors and certainly not the recipients. You, you've got it. Every Catholic who wants to take this vaccine, who feels they ought to take this vaccine, and we're going to talk about that part of it when we come back, about why they might feel they, they ought to, every Catholic can take this morally. Yes, indeed. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Bishop Fryer, and we're talking about the morality of the vaccine. And when we come back, we're going to talk about why you may really want to take this, because it might be the morally good thing to do. We'll be right back. Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Bishop Timothy Fryer, who is the Auxiliary Bishop here at the Diocese of Orange. And we've been talking about the morality of the new vaccines that have come out. The first two have had some controversy. And what the long and the short of it that Bishop Fryer has said is that it's morally allowable, what we would say morally licit, it's morally allowable to take the vaccine. Correct. All right. So let's talk for a moment about whether or not it is morally mandated to take the vaccine. And let me make my my case for just a moment before you shoot me down, because I can already see the guns getting ready to go. But if you are someone who could be in a position to spread this to your family members because you don't live alone or to, to other people you may work with or come in contact with, so you're not uh, a a solitary monk living somewhere. You are in a, in a hermitage. You <laughs> you're not Thomas Merton yes. somewhere. You are uh, you're not a college student bored to tears in their dorm because you're all alone. You're a worker and you have a family and you might even have a, a mom or a dad who's an older and fat and high blood pressure. It seems to me that you would run a risk, obviously, of of being able to be a carrier for this. And if you had it available to not become a carrier, don't you have a moral responsibility to take the vaccine? And wouldn't you be morally culpable if someone else got sick because you chose not to take the vaccine? You don't like needles. 
What's wrong with that argument, Bishop? <laughs> well, first off, I think one of the great blessings in all of this is that suddenly people are interested in moral theology. So there is a blessing of that. You know, That's true. A year ago, that very day, a year ago Catholics weren't, weren't coming up to me after Mass asking all these questions or sending me messages uh, through social media about these questions. So the fact that people are appreciative and wanting to understand moral theology, the Lord can always do great things out of, out of triple things. Your question is an example of that, of people starting to ask questions that really get into the heart of some of our moral theology. The person who is in contact with another person, which I think in Orange County, we pretty much have most people in contact some way or another with, with other people. Even the person that generally lives alone, they go out to the doctors or they go have to go to the store. So should they receive the vaccine? Most people would say that, yes, they should receive the vaccine. If they choose not to, we would say then that's where, like the Holy See said, then they have to really be cautious of wearing the mask, even when it's inconvenient. And not just on your chin, but above your nose, yes. um, staying six feet away, not sneaking up closer because you can't hear what your friend is saying, limiting the amount of time that you spend with other people, uh, that you would take on all of those things, which for most people is annoying. But if okay. you choose to not take the vaccine and you choose not to wear a mask or wear that, and you get somebody sick, I think then, yes, you could argue some moral culpability in wow. that case. You could be guilty of murder. I wouldn't go that far. All right, you could be guilty of negligent homicide. Yes. All right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's back up for a moment then. So, because we do have some reasonable precautions that for a lot of people have been able to keep other people safe. So for for a lot of us, we've been in isolation or semi isolation or involved with this whole pandemic for about nine active months or so, ten active months, something like that, and yet we haven't gotten sick yet. Right. Which means we're doing something reasonable in order to avoid it. So we're wearing our masks, we're using our, our wipes, we're using our Sanitizer. sanitizers, and we're staying our, our distance. If we choose not to do that and not take the vaccine, we're being unreasonably risky in our behavior. It'd be like drinking alcohol and going driving. Right. And in fact, I heard a talk by uh, Bishop Paprocki from Springfield, Illinois. And good man that he is. He, <laughs> he used, which I had not thought of in, in the case of the pandemic, we talk about an individual at the end of life. In the church for many, many years has used ordinary means versus extraordinary means. So that you're morally obligated to have those ordinary means to, to keep the person alive, food, hydration, food and water, basically. But, and, you know, yeah. yeah. But if a person has had three strokes, uh, kidney failure, and now they get lung cancer, do you need to do chemo on them? No, that the benefits don't outweigh the burdens. Right. He applied this to the pandemic. They could. They could. But they don't have they to. They don't have to. Right. Okay. And he applied this to the pandemic, saying that we need to take all ordinary means. So just as when I oh, drive I do home, like okay. well, you know, an ordinary means is I wear a seatbelt. Okay. I drive a safe speed. I don't tailgate. Yeah. You know, I don't have to take extraordinary means, meaning that I'm never going to get in a car because there is that chance I could get into accident. Sure. So... With the virus, to say we need to take everything that is ordinary means that protects other people and myself from from getting sick, uh, which in this case could be the vaccine, wearing a mask, but it doesn't mean that we have to live in complete and total isolation. Okay. Well, and it's kind of funny because I am one of the very few links to my mother who's 85, and she's growing a little more frail. 
And but she's even made the comment because uh, I said to her a couple of weeks ago that one of my daughters took some unnecessary risks, and so she's going to be excluded, and we're going to be wearing masks. And frankly, I'm going to be dropping your stuff by your door uh, for a week. And her comment back to me was, "Well, don't let it go on too long because while." I want to avoid, I don't want to lose my family over this. And what she meant by that was, if it comes down to it, she'd rather take a reasonable risk in order to have the the joy and benefit of her, of her God-given family, right. which is a true blessing, than not. And at 85, with frail health, she has the right to kind of make that decision. Correct. Wow. So let me back up for a moment. So if we're talking about the option to take the vaccine, we've already said, the bishops have said, and, and you're explaining the, the reason why, that whatever involvement happened with these first two vaccines that have come out, the development of those vaccines did not involve use of anything that would be considered immoral for a Catholic doctor to use. The development, the original development of it, the actual making of it, it was only in the testing of the product after it's Correct. been developed that it became a problem. And right. they use those tests to help verify that it's good, and therefore it's now been tainted. But the people who did the actual killing of the child 40 years ago are not involved in this, and this company is not involved with this that we know of anyway. And the vaccine itself... The actual product wasn't involved with it. It was just the testing of it. Therefore, it fits that category of remote. Right. And the person, therefore, benefiting from it, the patient who gets the vaccine, has no moral culpability. So they can take the vaccine. And then the question, of course, is should they? What are some of the criteria you'd be looking at if you were deciding about taking the vaccine? For example, if it wasn't that effective, or there were other reasonable alternatives, would you still would it still be listed to take the vaccine? It would still be listed. The burden to take the vaccine might be lessened if there were other options available. Right now, there are not really options available. Uh, okay, the, so one of them is it's the only options that are available are these right. two vaccines. Okay. Right. Yeah, so I, I think that's one. That's uh, the other is that, as we've seen over the last weeks, uh, our hospitals are full. Uh, so okay, so it's a grave thing. For the grave thing. And and it also is for the common good. And then for the common for good. The common good so. so this isn't just about you. It's no. not always about you. No. It's, sometimes no. it's about everyone else. Right. And in and this case, there are no other options available. It is a grave matter because not only might you die, you might get someone else sick and right. they could die. And because there's no, it's listen, you, you can take it and probably should, unless you've got heartfelt reasons, meaning real thought-out reasons why not to. Right, and real thought-out reasons, meaning that you saw more than a 30-second TikTok or a 30-second yeah. Snapchat thing that somebody said, don't do it, but that you really brought it to prayer, you've struggled with it, you've tried to be open to what the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith has said on the issue, that you try to, with humility, accept the Church's teaching in prayer. And then, if after all that... You still in prayer feel that God is telling you not to. But it, it takes a bit of effort to be able to go to the Lord in humility, to pray for the grace to accept what the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith has said, the U.S. bishops have said, yeah. 
to have the humility to recognize that maybe they know a little bit more about moral theology than I do. How, how, how long were you in seminary, uh, Bishop? Uh, eight years. Okay. And, and all that whole time, you probably, on a pretty regular basis, reflected on this stuff. And so it might be worthwhile for the average Catholic in the pew to take counsel from the bishops who are saying, this is a good thing to do. Yes. So we go back to then, is it the the mandatory thing to do? And what you're saying is no. No. It's not the mandatory thing to do, but if you're not going to do it, you still have responsibilities. And I, I liked what you said about this idea of you need to at least take the ordinary precautions. Correct. Like driving a car, you really should not speed. You really should be wearing your head, your uh, seatbelt. Uh, you really should make sure that your car is reasonably maintained and the tires are good. Right. Uh, otherwise, you could be held accountable for the accident on a legal level and a moral level. Right. And that would be the same thing here. Yes. So let me ask you this. We have another couple of vaccines that are coming through the pipeline. And you were talking before how those vaccines may present an, another layer, if you will, for the moral discussion. In a nutshell, what's that layer? And we may have to unpack this when we come back. Sure. So that layer is that they were developed using the tainted stem cell lines. So, what do you mean they were developed using the stem so cell lines? They, they, Are there stem cells in the vaccine itself? I don't believe that there's stem cells in the vaccine themselves. Okay. It's a RNA modifier. But in creating the vaccine, they used stem cells somehow. Now, I'm not a okay. yeah. person that was anyway qualified on the scientific level. But to say that, you know, it's one thing, you know, if I, if I have a clump of Play-Doh and I make a a mountain with it. Okay, I've made a mountain with it. Yeah. Now, if I made that mountain and I poured water on it to see how water flowed off a mountain, one is indirectly I used the, the Play-Doh to make the mountain. One is or I directly made it. So I think it's, did I make it from the substance, which is the AstraZeneca, or did I just use it in testing? So if it was involved in the development, then there's a deeper moral issue. And again, I think even then the Holy See seems to be indicating there still may be a moral laicity to use that vaccine, but we would try to find, in my case, I'd go out and ask for the Moderna or the or the Pfizer one. I wouldn't go out asking for uh, the AstraZeneca one. So essentially, if, I, if I'm hearing you right, this was a recent direct use of the stem cell, the aborted stem cell material. And because it was a recent use of it in the de- actual development of the vaccine itself, the companies are, are kind of taking on, they haven't taken on the guilt of having killed the child, but they're reifying the use of the child that way. Is that kind or, of where this is going? Or the, the stem cell line that came from that child, not directly the child his himself or herself. So in in the end, what you're saying, this new, this other vaccine, not the first two, but this other vaccine then, the company is recently basically approving of using aborted baby stem cells in clinical usage as a core development of the actual product. Correct. And that means that if you take that, you're essentially sending a signal that says, and I agree, and 
what it sounds like we Catholics need to be doing is saying, uh, we don't agree. We don't. And but what the bishops, I think, are were saying, if I heard what you were saying earlier right, it's now done. Do we throw it away or do we save lives with it? That is a different choice than the first choice, but it still comes down to a similar result. Right. We need to yell to high heaven this was wrong to do to develop it this way. But now that it's here, thank you very much, we'll use it. But no, we're not going to say this was a good thing to do. Is that kind of close to where we're on? We're at with this? That seems to be the most recent statement of the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith. Wow, okay. So even in that case, we can use it. But it sounds like there's a component here, and, and I understand that the bishops, from a pastoral perspective, and I can hear it in you, I think, as well, you want people to take advantage of what's going to help them so you don't want to scare them off. But it sounds like the bishops as well, at some point in this, need to stand up and say, the way you developed this was wrong, and we need to underscore that as well. This may not be the time to be shouting from the rooftops about it because we want our people to be safe, but you shouldn't have done it this way. Correct. Yeah, we we need to continue to go back, in this case with AstraZeneca, and say you should have used other methods to develop this. And in the future, please quit using these tainted lines in development. Okay, so if we're we're over time on this segment, so we're going to have to come back to it. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Bishop Fryer, and we're talking about the morality of the vaccines. We're going to revisit this when we come back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope in beautiful Garden Grove, California, where Catholic faith is crystal clear, even in wintertime. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Bishop Timothy Fryer. And uh, Bishop has been kind enough to go through this gauntlet of questions about moral theology. Although I get the impression you're kind of like me in that way. We're, we're kind of Catholic moral theology geeks in a way, aren't we? Sorry, I didn't mean to call no, you a geek. Bishop, no, that's okay. You follow what yes, I mean, right? Yes, yes. We kind of like this stuff. This yes. is good. All right. So it being the case that not everyone is, let's kind of review a little bit and kind of take a, a deep breath and put our periscope up a little bit and see where we are. So we have these vaccines that have come out, and there's a couple more that are in the pipeline coming out. The first two that have come out have had some moral question attached to them, and the bishops have answered with an affirmative, you may take these, they are morally licit, even though the companies should not have used stem cell lines after the fact, after they made the vaccine, they should not have used them to to test them. So the taint comes from that, and the taint is so remote that it doesn't somehow give you a moral burden that you wouldn't otherwise have. It's perfectly okay to take those lines. And, in fact, you probably either should take it or you at least need to do what precautions you can if you choose not to take the vaccine in order to safeguard people like we've been trying to do for the last nine months. Yes. Okay, yeah. and I'm looking forward to one. I'm eligible to to receive the vaccine. I'm on the county's vaccination task force. I was asking them. So when do clergy fit into all these phases? Um, because I think it's good for me and those yes. that I'm around. You know, people at masses. I don't want yeah. to be somebody that spread it. And because a person could be a spreader without having symptoms, 
that's the pernicious part of this disease. I could spread it, you know, to people at a mass Absolutely. and not know it. Well, and then we also have two other groups that are that are really involved in this. A lot of our priests in our diocese in Southern California are older, right? And they have their own comorbidity issues, their own health problems. And let's face it, a lot of the people who find the time to come to daily mass, come to regular mass, are, are older retired people yes. who therefore also shouldn't get this stuff. Yes. So for all those reasons, it would be good for the clergy yes. to be soon in line yes. to, to get this. Then we have this other set of vaccines that are soon to come out but haven't yet. In the development process of the vaccine product, they used stem cells as part of the experimentation to develop this RNA type of technology, which means that they have kind of reified the killing of the child. Not that they are doing it again, but they're kind of giving a stamp of approval on it. They took more direct advantage of that tainted line. And therefore, it it creates another layer of moral responsibility, of which the bishops have also been looking at that very carefully and have recently come out and essentially said, this is horrible. It's morally reprehensible. They should never have done that. Now that it's here, we should not waste it, and we should use it, even though we should be saying this was wrong to do. That raises another point, though. Doesn't that give essentially a practical green light to these companies who are doing this if we don't boycott it? Right. So where does that fit into this? Because it would be morally listed for someone to take it, but on the other hand, you're benefiting from something that companies are going to receive financial remuneration for doing, do we not have a, a, a moral culpability there at all? Personally, I I, I would ask for Pfizer There are plenty of people who don't believe. There are plenty of people who are not Catholic who will snap up these other problematic vaccines. So I think that as a Catholic, I, I would go to my doctor or whomever is going to administer the vaccine to me and say, I want one of these two that are at least tainted. Um, and I think as a Catholic, that's probably a good thing for us to do. That would, that would at least send a message to the company that right. if you're going to do this, you're going to lose at least the Catholic market that takes their faith very seriously. Correct. There seem to be some Catholics out there who don't take their faith as seriously. Anyway, well, 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 and, we'll we, and we keep praying for them. We, 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 we are going to be praying for them a lot. Um, and I'm going to leave it at that because I, I'm so tempted to make a couple of, of political jokes. I'm not going to go there. Bottom line is, if you are able, if you have a choice, you should ask for the, these first two, AstraZeneca and Pfizer. No, no Pfizer, not, Pfizer and Moderna. Oh, sorry. Not AstraZeneca. Not AstraZeneca. Vito AstraZeneca but Pfizer and Moderna. Moderna and AstraZeneca and the other ones that are coming down the pike are ones that you should avoid. What if you're in an area of the country or you're maybe even here and your insurance company is only paying for one and not the others? Then you would not be morally culpable for using this vaccine, whatever it may be. It's and the only thing you have available. Yes. And that's one of the criteria. Right. There are like three criteria for this and one of them is, is the only thing that you have available. Another is that it's it's morally grave, and then it would be effective for the benefit of yourself and the common good. Correct. Okay, so this whole thing about boycotting and about trying to stand up, what else should we then be doing? I mean, it's, it's, it's not just going to be a matter of saying, 
well, if I have a choice, I'll go ahead and say this. Should we not be doing something more loudly? I think that people should be writing to, you know, AstraZeneca was developed in relation with Oxford and uh, Oxford University in, in United Kingdom. We should write to them. Uh, we should continue to advocate. I'm not sure what the bishops in the United Kingdom are doing in relation to Oxford University since it was developed there. But I, I, I think that, yes. Well, we, the Anglicans we might have it now, but we started it. So. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, to write letters would be very appropriate. Let them know that there are people that would want them in the future to disavow this type of behavior. Okay. So we do, as Catholics, have a moral obligation to take all of this very seriously and to look at what we're doing. And right now, some very important discussion. And I think our first our first half hour on this, for those of you who are listening, if you missed the first half hour discussion on this, you're going to want to get the podcast and listen again because it, and then recommend it to people because it, Bishop was really very good at going over all of the nuts and bolts as to why. But essentially, the the first two that you you have a moral right to have this, and there is somewhat of a moral obligation to take it as well, or if you're not going to take it, to reasonably safeguard the people around you. Yes. And one of the ways that since this is available, if you choose not to take it, is you have to do everything you've been doing for the last nine months and no one wants to do. Right. But now you don't. You have um, a moral obligation. We even talked about how, my goodness, if you totally disregarded everything and someone got sick because of your knowledgeable disregarding of reasonable precautions, you could be morally responsible for the death of somebody. Right. As you said, murder is a hard thing to say, but uh, we would call that negligent homicide. Sure. Yeah, in, in our legal term, we would. And and also, too, it's not just given this hospital situation now, so the hospitals are, are full. Overwhelmed. So if a person in a car accident dies because they don't have access to that Ouch. hospital bed, there's, there's because the layer person number you three. Infect, I mean, you, know, you could go down a, a rabbit hole on this. Oh, gosh, this but, sounds like catted law all yes, over again. Yes. But those are part of the other issues. that There could be somebody that a heart attack, a stroke, a car accident, who can't get to a hospital to be treated, especially in the case of like a stroke where you, yeah. every second counts. If that hospital's fully backed up and they can't take the person. Because you were a super because spreader you, because yeah. you didn't take, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So the bottom line then really is that if you have the option to take this vaccine coming up soon, and there's some discussion about when some people are already getting the vaccine, but they're also saying there's so many people are going to have to have it that we may not be getting uh, everyone able to get it until spring or even perhaps uh, summer for some people, uh, that if you can get it, you should get it, even if you're young and healthy because you could be a spreader. And since... Most of the young people that I know, and since I teach college, I know a lot of them, they would benefit from not having to deal with wearing a face mask if they've already had the, the injection. Yes, and Orange County at least, it's the 25 to 34-year-olds that have the highest number of cases in of, of COVID in, in our county. The deaths are the older people, but if you look at the county health agency's website every day. Why is that, do you think? I think because they feel I'm not going to get that sick, so they're being it's, it's not risky. Gonna, they're, they're risky, and I mean, you you would know better than me. Imagine how college a teenager students, being risky. <laughs> yeah, or college students are still going to have the party, you know, and they're still going to hang out, and you know, they're going to drink and they're going to sing karaoke and you know, infect one another, and then go home and 
and you know, give it to mom or grandmother and and they're not trying to, but that's what's going to happen. Right. And they're not wanting to think about it or they're not. It would be hard for them not to be aware at this point about what the risks are, which means there's a moral culpability involved with yes. doing that. Uh, one last moral question on it. And then I want to, when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the healing process on this. There's been so much death and so much pain, but one more moral question for people who have been morally well, they've assumed risks they shouldn't have assumed. They need confession, don't they? I think so. At least a good act of contrition if if they didn't deliberately try to do something to to offend the Lord. But if you know but, that you, you've run the risk of being infected and you are now, maybe you're going to go on a date or something where you don't want to tell this person you're that's still a deliberate act. Sure. And you're choosing to do it out of your own free will. The hormones haven't hit strong enough yet. Yes. Don't have that excuse yet, which means, and it's a grave matter when you're talking. Yeah, if There's you, mortal sin involved here by yeah. definition, right? Yeah. Oh, if a person has a reasonable sense that they're infected and they choose to go out and and put other people at risk, whether they're younger or older, I know plenty of young people who have had horrific experiences with this. It, yeah. It's not just a little sneeze and a cough, and they're no. over it. They're they're really suffering. And so, if you know that you might be sick or or possibly a spreader, and you choose not to isolate, you choose not to quarantine, then I think you have some moral culpability that would need the Lord's forgiveness. Yeah, I've got a a daughter, for example, who is a theater major. And she's a, she's a singer, and I had to explain to her this is ravaging people's lungs. You won't sing. Imagine if you were a dancer and you get your your you become lame, right? That's what this is doing to people. Yes, and it got her to stop and pause for a moment. Wow, <laughs> hadn't thought of it that way. Well, yeah, think of it that way. Right. All right. When we come back, we've been talking an awful lot about the moral theology behind all of this, and I'm very glad that we were able to do so because there are many people I hope will take this vaccine with a clean conscience, without feeling guilty, and knowing that even though. There are some people who perhaps did something wrong with this in the process. It is not morally wrong to take the vaccine. And then hopefully they, we will have more people that will be protected. But we've had a lot of people who have died during this time. We've had a lot of people who have been emotionally scarred during this time. Bishop, when we come back, I want to ask what your advice is as a pastor. How do we work with these people? You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Bishop Timothy Fryer who is with the Diocese of Orange's Auxiliary Bishop. Uh, by the way, my understanding is today Bishop Van, who has tested positive for COVID, is doing okay. He is. Thankfully, he never had a serious bout of this. He never had a fever. Uh, his symptoms were more like the December cough, cold that frequently people get. We'll hope so thanks be to God. We we'll hope it stays that way. When we come back, we'll talk about how we can help each other. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today has been Bishop Timothy Fryer, and I hope, Bishop, you'll come back on the program. I hope we haven't dragged you through, although I think you kind of enjoyed this conversation oh, yes. a little bit. Well, yeah, as, as I mentioned, you know, I'm just delighted that people are serious about the faith, yeah. that they want to do what is correct in the Lord's mind, and that they're willing to engage these discussions that can be a little bit heavy, 
especially as you get into some of these realms of moral theology. But one of the blessings of this is that we end up with a whole generation of people interested in moral theology and the tradition of the church. That's God doing great things out of a terrible thing. Thank you for being willing to engage it, nonetheless. Yes. It, it's also a difficult topic, and you're speaking with authority, so there's a, there's a responsibility there, too. I'm glad I'm not a bishop. Thank you very much for being yes. one. Which, though, brings us back to the Catholic in the pews, and we've got a lot of people who have uh, been scarred. In my parish, we've got, uh, we, we do signing for the deaf. We have a, a deaf mass that has uh, been struck by some of our interpreters have been down. One of them has some comorbidities. His father got it and passed away, and he's been struggling with it. It's been hard. We've had other people that we know of that have disappeared for a while, and you don't see them at Mass. I understand why, but the bottom line is there are people who are sheltering in fear, and there are other people who have had loved ones die, and there are other people who are afraid they're going to die. We haven't had this kind of sustained exposure to this kind of pain since war. I mean, I can think of an analogy of World right. War II where you had everyone had somebody in it and everyone was worried about their loved ones or and they knew people who died. Right. Kind of reminds me of that. How do, do you as a pastor minister to those people and what do you recommend for all of us who while we're lay people we still we're pastor to our families as a father i bless my children every night in bed good and so what do you recommend yeah and i think you you were great in creating some of the different subdivisions of the pain that that exist i am a police chaplain for the city of anaheim and a few months ago a chaplain or an officer reached out to me uh, his dad was in the hospital. He went in for the, t- with a stroke. Uh, turned out he also then ended up having COVID unrelated. And so the pain of the gentleman with whom I ministered for a good couple of weeks was he could not be at the bed of his father. Yeah. And, you know, they could try FaceTime and it was hit and miss if the nurses could get them going. And, and just the agony of knowing that my dad was going to die alone and there was nothing I could do to be with him in his moment of death. we I've heard that from so many people, that the sadness that comes from not being with a loved one at the moment of death, the guilt, even though there's nothing that we could humanly do to make that situation different, the pain that comes from knowing that our loved ones are alone without the benefit of us praying into their ear, tell them in their ear that they love them, that pain is, is immense much more great than the normal mourning that I've ministered with with people. And I think with that, we have to remind people that you did everything you could. Your deceased relative knows that you love them, that you were praying with them, even though it was offside, even if it was at home, uh, that the Lord in his goodness is able to be in all places at all times. And so he heard your prayers and the prayers offered comfort and consolation to your family member who died. But we need to continue to work with those people, I think. This reminds me of some of the theology behind Advent, where, yes, Jesus came once physically into the world, but we also prepare for real, for his coming to us directly as we mentally, emotionally, and spiritually re-experience it. It doesn't create it again, but it does make it real for us, and in a very powerful way, Jesus ratifies that in our lives which is why the church takes us through the calendar and 
helps us go through our candles and yes. we, we have this anticipation for the coming of, of Christ. He's there with us much like we're there with our parents, even if we can't be with them. Yeah. That is small consolation, but it is some consolation nonetheless. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, and yeah, and I think the people that are are afraid, it's normal. I think for many people, especially if they're older, if they have comorbidities, to be afraid. They see the pictures on the news of the people on the ventilators and how terrible that looks, and we wouldn't want another person to have to go through that. But also, again, we go back in this Advent season. The readings of this season have been readings of hope, readings of trust in God. We heard, you know, the Annunciation, you know, and and Mary, when the archangel came, was afraid. And the archangel said, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. And that Jesus Christ has already won the victory through his death and resurrection. COVID has not won the victory. Satan has not won the victory. We we know how this story ends. We, yes. <laughs> we win. Yes, yes. And, so and so we, we have to keep that hope yeah. that... We will get through this, that Christ is one for us. I have a daughter who has uh, had chronic, chronic head pain for a number of years. And one of the things that's been interesting is she's she's been talking recently about being thankful for at least one part of COVID. It's meant all of our family has been home. Normally, she's at home alone with a dog while we're out doing our normal work day. But for the last almost a year now, she's had her family around her, and she's benefited from that. And I can see one more benefit as well. And we haven't had this, I think. One, one of the things our society has done has sanitized itself. 150 years ago, when someone died, they didn't go to a mortuary. They, they were displayed in your house for a yes. day. And everyone knew what death was. And everyone saw what suffering was. But in the last 70 years or so, we've done a pretty good job of sanitizing everything. Maybe there's a silver lining here, too, in that while it's horrible, we're reminded that this is a short trip and none of us get out of it alive. Right. And we need to pay attention to what that means. Yes. And I think, you know, the phrase that used to be rather common that is still worthy is, you know, that we would pray for a happy death. You know, we'd pray for a holy death. We ask the Blessed Virgin Mary to pray for us now and at the hour of our death, that those reminded us that we are going to die. And we would hope, God willing, that we would die a holy, happy death that the saints, the angels would be with us to, to bring us to the true promised land if our sins had been forgiven, that we'd receive the sacraments regularly, etc. that we hopefully are, are praying for that holy and happy death. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned, but I have listened to some, some Protestant music. There was a song that came out a few years ago by a group called Barlow Girl, and it was called Beautiful Ending. And it was a beautiful song about, gee, they're asking, what will my ending be? Will it be beautiful? Will I be in your arms? It's like, how often do we celebrate the possibility of transition rather than grieve at what we left behind? What faith in that? Yes. And you don't hear that from Protestants either a whole lot just to say that, but it was a startling song from a very Catholic perspective Yes, that we still pray for a, a good death. To your original question, one other thing that I would say, there was a study that came out recently from Gallup, and they're a reputable... Yeah. You know, balanced. They're generally one of the best out there. And it was asking people about their, their mental health. And obviously from last year to this year, everybody's mental health self-rated has gone down the drain. Yeah. And Gallup is really good about, you know, by age group, by ethnicity, by education level, etc. Everybody was down in all the different ways that they splintered their data except for one group. 
One group actually was better, and it was the people that went to church every week. <laughs> that is true. I, I did hear that one, and I, I remember smiling when I heard it because we hear this from time to time. It's a combination of things, but in the end, it's about I truly believe this stuff or I would not be going. Yes. Whereas a lot of people who are going, sorry, Bishop, but they haven't really bought into this, at least for some of them. Right. At least for part of their, their thought. Yeah. And and if I'm there every week, I receive tremendous grace. Yes. You know, that if obviously if I'm, you know, sick, if I'm older, I should, you know, use prudence. But if I'm a young person or a middle-aged person who's healthy, I should be at Mass every Sunday so that the Lord can give me the grace that can only be received in the reception of Holy Communion. Yes, you know, yes, I can hear the Word of God, which is important and good, but that grace is unique, and that's what's going to get us through this, I think. Well, and this is one of the other reasons to take the vaccine, is because even though we currently have permission to stay home from Mass as long as we're doing what we can in order to engage Mass remotely, we still need that physical, spiritual dynamic of the Eucharist. Yes. So we've gone a lot further this hour than I thought we were going to. Thank you, Bishop. We've talked an awful lot about the moral theology and why it's okay to take these vaccines, no matter which vaccine, but we should be requesting which two? Pfizer, Pfizer and, and Moderna. Moderna, uh, if we have a choice of vaccines to take, because those have the least involvement with anything of moral taint, but the moral taint is so remote that you really should not have to worry about it morally. Right. Bishop, would you please lead us in a word of prayer, which I think we all could use, and a blessing, which I think we could use just as much. Sure. Thank you, Rick. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, your love for us is so great that in the fullness of time you gave us your Son, Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem of the Blessed Virgin Mary, to draw us into your love that through Jesus' birth, his humility, his innocence, his joy, his kindness, that you attract us, you call us, you beckon us back into relationship with you. During these days that we celebrate Christmas, help us to bathe ourselves in the radiance of Christ's birth. Continue to give us the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the angels of the saints, that we may be faithful to your will that we may be obedient to you, and that we may continue to care for all of our brothers and sisters, those in the common good. We pray for all those who are sick, their family members, their caregivers, all who are suffering, that you may give them comfort, consolation, and may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Wow. Thank you so very much, Bishop. You have been listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today has been Bishop Timothy Fryer, Auxiliary Bishop for the Diocese of Orange. We have been talking about some very heavy topics. The first half hour, wow, we went through an awful lot. And if anybody has any friend who is struggling with the morality of these vaccines, please give them a a link to this podcast. You can find it at occatholic.com, and you can go to the radio tab where if you look at our flagship show, Orange County Catholic Radio, uh, that will be up shortly, and you can recommend that to anybody who would like to struggle a little bit on a very positive way with why uh, taking the vaccine is a morally licit thing to do, a morally good thing to do. Once again, thank you, Bishop, for being here. Thank you. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will see you again next week.